It is exactly 15 minutes after 7 o'clock. Welcome to it. This is Metro FM Talk. Joining us this evening for our business wrap, founder and chief investment officer at Makwe Fund Managers, Makwe Maselela. A very good evening to you. Welcome to Metro FM Talk. Evening, Tammy, and a very good evening to the listeners. How are you? I am absolutely uh, happy that I'm in studio and not outside today in, in the red rain and the traffic. So a good place to be. Oh, and a little bit of a disclaimer here for all of you who actually are listening to us in traffic. We are with you. We feel you. So brave it. But at least you've got good company. We're going to keep you in good company tonight. Look, Marco, let me... Yes. Let's get straight Don't in. Don't rub it in. Are you perhaps one of those earlier on today? Well, let, let's try and, and do our best to make sure that that ride back home or to that meeting or the last engagement for today is, is um, informative for you. Let's get straight into the issues uh, tonight, Makwe, that Tongat Hewlett is, is facing in a bid to try and reduce their 7.2 billion rand debt they are finding themselves in even more trouble. What's going on there? You know, just to put this into perspective, we know that this company has been in trouble. They had their scandal issues, their change management, stuff like that. And as we are saying, the debt now is at 7.2 billion. But to tell me, the guys implemented the past two and a half years you know, a strategy to try to turn around the company. So it helped to some extent because they managed to reduce the debt levels by 42% through selling some of their assets, some cash flow management and some cost reduction. But yeah, markets were not too happy because number one, the guys are looking to raise $4 billion. So as we're talking now, the market value, the market cap of the company is around $1.3 billion. So that's far more than the value of the company. And then secondly, I mean, as you said, the debt as it sits at $7.2 billion, also far more than the value of the company. But the guys we know they're involved in sugar and property, and you look at their property value, sits at almost $8.5 billion. And at some point, the share price fell 50%. And we know that this rights offer, it will be underwritten by one of the current shareholders and also a strategic partner, an investment holding company registered in Mauritius. So yes, markets will say, hi, this is just too much. But the guys as a company don't that by doing all this, as we know, they've got almost 29,000 employees in South Africa, Zimbabwe, Mozambique, and Botswana. So that will help to save some of those jobs, especially during this harvest time. And we know that the guys, as it stands now, I mean, they produce 43% of South African sugar. And then what was also impressive, I mean, they source almost 43% of their feedstock from more than 15,000 black farmers and corporate members. So what is uh, Tonga Tulip going to do in order to, to try and, and, and increase um, its, its uh, capital? You know, because basically when a, a rights issue is dilutive of the earnings because you're going to issue more, sure. So meaning the profits that you've been earning, we've got more shareholders will be sharing into those profits. So it used to be 10 of us sharing 100 rent of your profits. So now it's going to be 20 of us sharing the very same 10 rent. So it means your earnings will be lowered. And we know that one of the good profit measurements in South Africa is your headline earnings per share. So that considers how many people will be sharing on that. So hence, 
usually rights issues are dilutive because it means I'll be getting less compared to what I used to get because now we've got the Tami and other guys who joined us as the shareholders. It dilutes and wipes out about 560 million rand in uh, the shareholder value. What do you think it's going to take to try and recoup that value? You know, markets have got a funny way of analyzing these things, you know, for the fact that it's been underwritten by the, what you call it, one of the shareholders, it gives some form of, the, of comfort. So what will be interesting will be seeing how many people are going to uh, subscribe to those shares because what they'll be doing, the current shareholders are the ones which are given the right, you know, to buy. So if most of us it gets oversubscribed, whatever it is, then that will be positive for the market. That will also be positive for the stock itself. I mean, as we see now, it's finished the day almost 23.92% down. So we're waiting to see whether will this be subscribed or maybe the underwriter will have to end up taking those shares themselves. And if they do that, then they'll become one of the major shareholders in the company. And uh, moving on to, to MTN now, we see that MTN is to sell its uh, South African cell phone towers to IHS in a 6.4 billion rand deal. Talk to us about that. I think that's the new thing, you know. I mean, we've seen the likes of Telcom, they want to list their towers and mass companies separately. We've seen the likes of Vodacom, you know, they're trying to list their financial services companies uh, uh, separately. So Telcom, uh, sorry, MTN, what they're trying to do here is that listen, IHS, which they currently anyway own 29% of that company. And when that company was listing in the New York Stock Exchange, it's valued at almost 80 billion. So that's selling that to them and they will list it back from them. So they'll use that money to pay some of the debt, strengthen their balance sheet. But more importantly, they're going to be using their money with the expectation that next year we'll have this much talked about auctioning of the spectrum. So they'll have the money to be able to participate in that. So it puts them in a very nice position to be able to do that and have the cash to participate when it comes to the auctioning of that spectrum. That if it happens next year, the way we anticipate. <laughs> but the share price was down not percent I mean, this, is, this has been one of those structural reforms, you know, that the government has been talking about, you know, to make sure that the auction, the spectrum, in order to reduce the data fees. And look, this has been a long time coming, Makwe, and talk about forward planning as far as MTN is concerned and making sure that they actually are liquid and are able to participate in, in that auction. But perhaps give us some of the ABCs about this anticipated uh, auction of the spectrum. Okay, as it stands now, there is this uh, court thing and uh, looming between the likes of Telcom, MTN, and Itasa. Because of COVID, uh, a lot of people working and studying from home, they had to give them temporary spectrum so that all of us are able to have decent speed when it comes to using the data, stuff like that. Auctioning the spectrum, it has also been a Sony issue, and apparently they might have out of court settlement because the likes of Telcom took them to court that, you know what, it's going to be favoring the big guys, uh, uh, fighting ICASA over that. And then we've been also asking ourselves that Telcom itself, remember, it's 40% owned by government, ICASA is also government. Why didn't they have these discussions, you know, outside the courts? But the long and short is that 
there will be more of that that people can buy and have more of the spectrum. And whenever you make calls, they don't get to be dropped. Whenever we have to have a decent speed, you know, to do the Internet, stuff like that, then we'll have the necessary speed. So that will help us as well with speed, with also reducing the prices when it comes to data. So it's a very good thing. Hence, the president has been mentioning the auction of the spectrum as one of these structural reforms because the cost of doing business per commune has been highlighted as one of these only issues. So by auctioning more spectrum, because that spectrum is sitting with them in any way, Government will make money out of auctioning that spectrum instead of that spectrum just sitting out there, not earning them any money. Well, this deal is is part of uh, MTN's key asset realization program. So, yes, they are uh, selling to IHS for 6.4 billion rand, but they will actually be needing um, at least 5,700 or so um, of that spectrum, uh, I mean, back in all, so they're going to be leasing it basically from IHS? Yeah, definitely. It, and it works for them on their books because on their books it's going to look as a lease because that lease in debt compared to what it is now because they're not in the business anyway of owning towers and masks. They're in the business of making sure that they're a network provider. And also we've seen them just like other uh, network telecommunications company, they are also trying to push as hard as they can when it comes to the financial services. So that will also help them to focus on that, you know. And they leave companies like that because IHS, as it is now, they've got those towers, you know, in Latin America, you know, in other parts of Africa. That is why we even mentioned that uh, Telcom as well, they are looking to list that other one of theirs. Separately, and on top of that, just over 5,000 towers which are there, they still have almost 2,000 which are not yet monetized. So it's even going to be more going forward. But the beauty is that they'll continue to have good access to that because the agreement is to lift it back from them. So they're not out of the picture. It's like you're trying to train yourself and try to focus on what you can do best. So let's focus then, uh, Makwe, on Tiger Brands, the workers there, downing tools in, in KwaZulu-Natal. You know what? You guys with the sweet tooth will feel sorry for you because that's the <laughs> fact that produces your chocolate, your sweets, your bacon. You know, and the guys with an issue of the uh, salary increases. I think the employees are looking for a 7% increase and then the management is offering 3%, which is kind of disappointing because it's far less than the current inflation, which we know is at almost 5%. And it's a almost at the bottom of the Reserve Bank inflation target of between 3 and 6%. So the guys are saying, listen, we need that kind of an increase. So as much as we are willing to talk, but so far we have deadlocked, so we're just going to go on in a different track. It's just so unfortunate for the company because it did incur the losses of almost $150 million because of the unrest that we've seen in July. And anyway, remember, this is a company that some years back had an issue with their value-added meat when it comes to the stories. And uh, 
them two, three months back, they also had to recall some of their tent full, uh, what you call it, vegetables. So it doesn't just rain for them, it falls as a company. But we will hope that they'll get to a situation where they resolved it because they did manage to have a resolution when it comes to one of their factories based in Jimiston that they managed to settle. So hopefully the guys will find each other. And I think that one of the easiest things is for both employers and employees to start seeing themselves as one, not us and them. You know, that what is it in themselves? Because you don't want to give people an increase, then six months down the line, you retrench a quarter of them because you are unable to maintain those salary increases. So let's look at the, um, the public procurement delays uh, as far as ESCOM is concerned there. I'm struggling to understand this one, Tammy, because this is something that the guys have known about from day one, that this is how we procure. So if from day one you see that this is not working for us, why didn't you try to get some exemptions coming from the Treasury? That given our situation, can maybe we get a directive that we can bypass X, Y, Z? Because bypassing does not necessarily make things illegal or fraudulent or corrupt. That even our situation, we don't have the time and the liberty to wait 60, 90, 30 days to procure things because this is more of an emergency. And if you remember, telecom is being regarded as an essential service. So even when people have to go on strike, you know, there are issues. So why don't they handle this as a form of an emergency? The way we handled COVID-19, when people were trying to procure one, two, three, four things, you know, to make sure that they help us to survive COVID. The way guys have been going around trying to get the vaccine, why didn't they impact on something like that? And not now. This is something that they should have looked at from day one. Tell me when you get into a company, you sit down, you have what we call the first 100 days. Basically, it gives you an opportunity to sit and assess the company, to see what needs to be done. And at least after 100 days, you know things that need to be done, whether it's short, medium, or long term. So I think this is one of the things that should have been identified long time ago. It's not an excuse that you should be told about it now. And yes, it is a reality. That's what they are facing with But They could have negotiated this whole thing long, long time ago. So what are the issues here as far as the inability to make these procurement decisions? As you're saying, it really is a non-brainer after the initial analysis of where the problem areas are, where the maintenance is, what's going to be needed uh, to, to be fixed. Why the backlog here? The problem here is that if you follow government procurement processes, it takes long. And as a result, you want to buy something because it needs to be repaired now. So you don't have the time to wait for that period to be able to get whatever that you need to procure. So you should be procuring those things in a very fast way so that you don't end up with a bedlock that you are unable to do the maintenance because you're still waiting for X, Y, Z, because you have to follow a procurement process, which in your books or in your understanding doesn't work for your institution because it takes longer. It might maybe work for another government department, but not for an entity like you. So my problem here is that, yes, it's a real issue, but why are you only addressing it now? Why didn't you address it long time ago? 
just issues like Tamil you say, there'll be some consequence management. You cannot be telling us that now. These are the things that you know as you are heading whatever institutions that people have to face the consequences when they don't do things the way they're supposed to do those things. You cannot give us any impression that you will implement consequence management. I mean, that's a given. That should be implemented anyway. Are you suggesting that there needs to be some special uh, declaration of a state of disaster for ESCOM in order for them to be able to get preferential procurement uh, processes signed off? I mean, whatever it takes, whether you want to call it the disaster, declaration of disaster, whether you want to make that as an exception, you know, for them to be able to do this, because we definitely cannot, as they explain, we cannot live with that situation as is. So call it whatever that we want to call it, it's okay. But the status quo cannot remain. Makwe Masilela, thank you very much uh, for today's business wrap and that final uh, you know, story there with, with ESCOM. Certainly the reason why ESCOM had to institute or rather reinstitute stage two of load shedding. And this is after units in Duva, in Kendal, as well as Midupi power stations lost, um, were, were lost earlier on uh, this, this morning. And a further two units at Gusile and Majuba were down, as you know, for repairs on their boiler tube leaks and their slow procurement decisions leading to at least part of the reasons why we are still not finding any joy to the ESCOM problems. It is exactly 7.32 on Metro FM Talk. Your thoughts, your views on, on some of the stories that we've discussed today, specifically the ESCOM one there. 079-191-4270. Give us a call and we'll be playing your voice notes in just a moment.